Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. As Shannon uh, indicated, and those of you that get my emails would might remember if you read it, I'm going to begin talking a little bit about prayer, and I'm kind of, is that um, cheating? I'm using Mother's Day as a launching pad. Oh, there's a title up here. What we can all learn from the power of a praying mom. Uh, anyone ever heard of a praying mom? Any of you victims of a praying mom? I mean, the <laughs> recipients. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said that that way because there's kind of some truth there. Anyone ever live a life that was not a good plan and there was a mom praying for you on her knees weeping for you while you were out working on your testimony and <laughs> build, building a testimony? <laughs> um, that's a real thing. And I thought, you know, I want to talk about prayer. Prayer is something that is being stirred amongst us as a people right now. It was not a master plan. We didn't have our, our elder team sit in a circle and pray and think and, and think, what should we do next? And someone said, ah, prayer, and then we voted and said prayer. That didn't happen. Somehow, an emphasis on prayer and opportunities to pray has kind of bubbled up all by itself or by the hand of God. And so we're, we're thinking a little bit more about prayer, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll look at a couple stories of praying moms, which, by the way, if you didn't know, you all have a friend named um, Google. Have you met Google? Google? Man, what a know-it-all. If you ask, well, some of you have a friend named Siri. Those of you on the dark side with the uh, Apple. <laughs> that worked. Did you see that? That worked. I don't know if you could hear that online, but everyone went, ooh. <laughs> it's like a rumble now. Um, so <laughs> we love you, Apple users, and your friend Siri. If you ask Siri, or if you ask Google, or if you're like me, ask DuckDuckGo, um, to tell you about the power of praying moms, you'll get a whole bunch of articles that you'll find about stories about people, men and women, who have made impacts in history, but they attribute their impact to the power of their mother praying. And it's my impression that one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful tool, even weapon we have in spiritual warfare, in defeating the works of Satan in our world, in accomplishing God's Partnering with God in accomplishing his purposes around the planet is prayer. And in my experience and in the experience of people I know, just based on how we live, we don't seem to know what we have in our hands. But prayer is effective. We've been now for the, since COVID, basically, Shannon, who was just up here, said, you know what, I got to somehow connect with people. And she began an online prayer meeting Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning. So every morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 7, a group of us meet and we pray. And we haven't done a great job of being scribes to write down all the stories. But seriously, 
over and over and over, things that we ask God to do happen. Over and over. Now, they don't happen immediately, usually. We pray, we seek God, we call on Him. We do this thing called prayer, which is asking Him to do things, and they get done over and over, almost like, like, wow, we're surprised this works. And it's like, duh, did you not read the Bible? Yes, this is God's design. God who's sovereign, who could do anything He wants, who could in a moment squash evil, has decided in His sovereign plan, in His wisdom, that his plan to restore this world from the effects of Satan and the people who have fallen prey to his deceptions is to partner with people to change the world. And the major way of that partnership is through prayer. Prayer is powerful, people. And if we awaken to the power of prayer, Satan is going to be very upset. Because things change, the world changes. So I'm going to talk about um, some of those things as we talk about women and prayer, moms, and some stories and things we can learn. Father, we're going to try to understand a little bit more about this tool called prayer, this weapon called prayer. And I ask that you help me to think and speak clearly. And I pray that you cause all of us to hear what you're saying that we would join you in your beautiful, wonderful plan of restoring lives and restoring this whole world to the perfection that you created it in. We join you, God, and we want to join you in our actions of feeding the hungry and taking care of the poor and healing the sick and binding up the brokenhearted doing the works of evangelism and the works of love and the works of kindness. And we also want to join you in the power of making petitions to you in prayer. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, speaking of, of what I was just saying about partnering with God in prayer, listen to this quote from a book, that a name that some of you might know, who was a major leader in the body of Christ in the last century, I'm not even sure if he's still alive. Last time I saw him, he was very weak and feeble, uh, very old. But Jack Hayford, who just was incredible writer, preacher, pastor, um, seminary leader, wrote this in his book that I, I would recommend if you want to ever learn. I would recommend Prayer is Invading the Impossible, a book by Jack Hayford. wrote these words, the adversary, the adversary would be Satan, the prince of the power of the air. The adversary still contends for earth rule. Still means even after Jesus defeated him at the cross, that defeat is powerful, but it's not yet consummated because he still seems to have some sway. It, it, if he's bound, he seems to have a really long leash. Have you noticed? He might have affected your life a bit. The adversary still contends for earth rule, and until Christ finally expels all his workings, his conquest is experienced only through warfare, spiritual warfare. Each believer is an occupational force which has one principal purpose, to enforce the victory of Calvary. Calvary meaning what Jesus did on a cross that was on a hill called Calvary. What Jesus did on the cross defeated Satan. 
broke his power, rendered him ineffective. In the face of people who will put their faith in Jesus, Satan becomes ineffective. His power is rendered useless in the face of those who put their faith in Jesus and exercise the authority that they receive by the power of Jesus' Spirit in them. You hearing me? Maybe that's too cosmic and crazy for some of you. But this is the reality. If If you're in this room and you have believed that all there is is a material world of atoms, you've been deceived. There's a spiritual world. And you probably knew it at one time. But somehow some education tried to drive that out of you, that everything is just an accidental explosion and there's no spiritual world. There is a very spiritual world, and all of you have bumped into it. All of you have had spiritual experiences. I've never met a person with whom I've talked to more deeply that wouldn't say, yeah, I've had some spiritual experiences. We live in a spiritual world. There is spiritual battle, and it affects the physical world. We live in both. There is a realm called the heavenly realm, and we have a role called prayer, So, there's a lot of stories of moms who have prevailed in prayer and changed the course of history. I immediately think of the Bible. Let's see if you think of anyone. Who do you think of in the Bible who was a mom whose prayer did something? Hannah. That's exactly what I'm going to talk about. Who else? Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. How about her worship and prayer? Yeah. Yeah. And if Esther, absolutely. Oh, my goodness, Esther. Her praying changed the course of history. Yeah, so Hannah, if you don't know that name, Hannah was a woman who was childless. Many, many, many times in the Bible story, we run into people who have lack, and it appears that God intentionally allows them to have lack until they seek him in prayer. This would apply to you and me. Seek him, call on him, cry out to him in prayer so that his, the lack that we experience turns into abundance that changes the course of history. So here's a woman who has no child, and she's being tormented by another person who does have children. And she begins in bitterness of soul to weep and cry out to God, give me a son, and if you do, I will dedicate him to you for the rest of his life. And God hears her prayer. She eventually has a son. His name is Samuel, which means, it it sounds like in Hebrew, God hears or heard of God. So when you hear the word Samuel, there's this instant um, indication that God heard the prayers. Just throw something on the side. Um, There's a judge in our country named Samuel Alito who's writing the opinion that may overturn Roe versus Wade, as you've seen in the news. The, the legalization of killing unborn children by the millions. Maybe that God shows him, and his name is Samuel, because God hears the prayers of millions of people. Anyway, Samuel, if you don't know the Bible story, becomes a major prophet in the history of God's story in the world. He is the one who leads the nation Israel out of their trouble, they're not really fully a nation yet, and they enter the season where they will have kings and become a powerful force for good in the world. And under Samuel's leadership, there's the school of the prophets that's developed. All of the prophetic writings in the, in the Old Testament would have their um, birth in Samuel, this major prophet, who eventually is called to anoint David, the king, from whose line will come Jesus the Messiah. 
amazing results of a woman of prayer. Um, have, have any of you heard of this name? Well, I know a couple of you will say yes. Hudson Taylor. Who knows the name Hudson Taylor? There's three of us. So Hudson Taylor was born in the 1800s, and he um, changed the face of missions in the world. His mother was Amelia, his father was James, and when they discovered that she was pregnant, they already, before the baby was born, dedicated him to the Lord in prayer and prayed that he would become a missionary, especially a missionary to China. And God heard their prayers. And when he became a young man, he eventually went to China in the 1800s, this was um, English, and did things differently, did things in a new kind of way where he dressed like and lived like the people that he was ministering to. Rather than an Englishman, he, he began to dress and learn the language and adopt the culture of the Chinese. Through his leadership, hundreds of other missionaries began coming. Through his leadership, thousands upon thousands of Chinese people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the most powerful, amazing churches in the world began. I don't know if you know that the church in China, there's probably more believers in China than there are Americans in the U.S. I don't know if you knew that. They're persecuted. They're in underground churches. They meet in secret places because of the great persecution of the communist government there that does not allow Christianity. This, you know, they have to smuggle Bibles. There's just amazing stories. But a root of that came from a man named Hudson Taylor, whose mom began to pray when she was pregnant. When Hudson was in his teens, he got a job at a bank. He was raised in a very Christian home, and there was worship and Bible reading, and you know, he had kind of an, an insulated environment. But he, he got to work at a bank, and for the first time, he met people who mocked Christianity, who made fun of those crazy Christians. And he got exposed to the power of wealth and what you can buy with money. And I don't know if you know this, but money can be a great deceiver. You know, the Bible has a bit to say about the dangers of the love of money. Money's neutral. It can be powerfully good or it can be powerfully bad if it deceives us. So here's Hudson. He's, I think, around 15, 16, 17, probably 17. Um, don't know. Probably doesn't matter. But he is being drawn away. He's joining the mockers. He's making fun of Christianity. His faith is wavering now. Remember, he's been praying that he's going to be a missionary in China, but we've run into a problem. And he is thinking, this looks good. This making money. There's a lot of pleasure I can buy with money. And he's far away from from the Lord. His mom's away. She's always praying for him. She's on holiday in another place, far away. And she suddenly has the urge to get very serious about praying. And she spends more and more time seeking God, calling on God, crying out to God for the salvation of her son. And on one particular day, she felt such an urgency that she locked herself into a room with this persevering mentality that said, I am not going to give up praying until I have assurance from God that my prayer is answered. We'd call that today, she prayed until she received breakthrough. Does anyone know that language? Some of us do. More of us need to. This is a reality of Christians who've been given the tool of prayer that God has given us in our hands something where we can begin to call on God for what he desires already to do, but he's waiting to do until we begin to pray because he wants to partner with people to accomplish his purposes. Did you hear what I just said really fast? Sometimes, 
I believe there are things that God already longs to do, but he's waiting to do until we join him in prayer. So Hudson Taylor's mom, Amelia, began to pray. She called out to God. She's on her knees, and she prayed fervently that God would get through to her son, that he would move circumstances, that he'd bring word, revelation, understanding, whatever it took, that this boy would meet Jesus. And suddenly she felt in her spirit, after some hours of praying, that God had answered the prayer. And that happens. If you don't know this experience, that happens when you persevere in prayer. There are moments when you feel like, God just reveals to you, the answer's done. She, she shifted from calling on God, begging for pleading, to praising God for what she was sure he'd already done. Well, at that same moment, we know from history and we know from their interaction, Hudson Taylor, young man, was bored. And he went into his father's library and he was like, I don't know, he's just bored. And he's looking for books and he, he finds a book. It's a tract. It's called Poor Richard. I don't even know what's in it. But he finds a phrase, the finished work of Christ. And suddenly, revelation light goes into his heart, and he realizes, all I need to do is put my faith in the finished work of Christ, and I will experience salvation. He drops to his knees and commits his life to the Lord at the same moment that his mother's in another place, seeking, praying until the prayer is answered. They come together, and he says, I've got something to tell you. And she says, I know what it is. You got saved, didn't you? And she's, he's like, yeah, how do you know? Because God showed me, and they begin to praise God for what happened in prayer. Isn't that powerful? I don't know if you knew that was a possibility. So here's some principles that I think we can learn. One is that praying moms know that prayer changes the course of history. That's a, that's a big mouthful, isn't it? Prayer changes the course of history. Prayer changes the course of history. Listen to this scripture. This is Isaiah the prophet. And he says in uh, Isaiah 62, Jerusalem, I have sent intercessors on your walls. Do you know what intercessors are? That, that's someone who comes in between. It's when you have a need for someone here, it's not your need, it's their need, and you go to God on behalf of their need, you're interceding. So intercessors are those that pray for the needs of people. I have set intercessors on your walls. Walls in a city are the protective walls around a city. Who shall cry out to God. Often in the Bible, the language of prayer that's fervent and passionate is cry out, call out, pour out my heart. Who will cry out to God day and night, for the fulfillment of his promises. And listen to this word from God to people who pray. Take no rest, all you who pray, and give God no rest. This is God saying, don't let me rest, until God establishes Jerusalem and makes her respected and admired throughout the earth. So this was a word to a particular people. Don't you rest, and don't give me rest, until you pray through the promises that I've already made and see them fulfilled. Because prayer changes the course of history. This is, real, this is cosmic, I suppose. This is heavenly. This is otherworldly. This is spiritual. This is not just atoms and particles. This is the power of the spiritual world. You, if you know Jesus, have been given the power of prayer. Here's another one, Isaiah again. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him, O people of Zion. And Zion is the, the place where God caused his name to dwell. 
the place where King David set up the tabernacle of God where there was worship. O Zion, people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he, how gracious God will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Prayer changes the course of history. I asked Mark Newell if I could share a story that he shared in our um, small group on Thursday night. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, there's a group of us that have been meeting right in the lobby here to worship and open the Bible and encourage each other and pray. Everyone's welcome. 7 p.m., 6.30 we meet to munch, and 7 we start worshiping. So Mark was there to tell us he was with Michael and probably another... Who was that? It was your Michael's house and... And Steve, oh yeah, Steve, of course. Um, sound guy Steve, amazing, amazing man of God, warrior in faith, Steve and Michael. And they're talking about how he would like to go to Pakistan in the fall. We've got people that we've met online and they've invited us to come. And Mark was like, I'd love to go, but man, I'd, I'd need to make a lot more money. I, maybe, I don't know, I just needed to find a different job or something. And he left it at that, but Michael said, well, let's pray. So they just prayed a quick prayer to ask, Lord, would you change the situation so he can go to Pakistan? I think there was also wanting to know, should I go to Pakistan? Was that, yeah, so it's kind of a double prayer. Should I go and would you give us the money? He leaves there, drives to, was it your niece or your, daughter, your sister? He goes to his sister's house and he's just at her, this is like the same day, right? He goes to his sister's house and she just randomly says, hey, Mark, by the way, do you need a job? And he's like, click, why? Because <laughs> he has a job. And she goes, oh, there's this guy that has this really great job and hooks him up. He calls the guy. It's doing something that Mark likes to do. And it's $4 more an hour than he makes now. And he got the job immediately. Now, was that a coincidence? Or was that directly related to prayer? Um, a couple weeks ago, in this building, we shared... Uh, Matt, our treasurer, got up and just shared, you know, here's the facts of our financial difficulties as a church. Some things need to change. We need to be more involved in generosity as a family. We also need to be really reaching our community. We have room here to minister to a lot more people than we were currently ministering to. So we said we're going to fast and pray. The next morning, that was Sunday a few weeks ago, the next morning, someone who lives in another state who used to go to this church, who had no idea what we were talking about on Sunday afternoon, on Monday, called and said, I just want you to know I'm going to sell my condo, and I believe I'm going to tithe on the money I make on the selling of my condo, so watch for these checks that are coming in the mail. The next day. Now, do you think that was related to our people joining in prayer? That's unusual for prayer to come that fast. In my experience, usually there's like wrestling in prayer, calling out to God. And actually, I've been doing that, and some of us are doing it. But as a body, that day we did that. To me, that was a sign that God said, yes, I'm with you. Those checks, by the way, did come in. They were substantial, and they've really helped with the immediate trouble financially that we were in. They, they kind of erased a big, a big hole. It's, that, that doesn't mean, yeah, hey, we're done. We never have to do anything anymore. No, it means... It means God was gracious. He filled in a hole so that we can keep building. But that's, that's prayer. People, mothers who pray probably know this, but all of us need to know that prayer changes the course of history. Here's another one. 
praying moms, and you saw that in the story of Hudson Taylor, know how to persevere in prayer. Do you know persevere? You know, you know persevere. Persevere means you don't give up. It means you keep going until you get an answer. And in prayer, you keep going and maybe you grow it. You call some prayer partners and you keep going until you get an answer. And maybe you add fasting and you fast and pray until you get an answer. Here's a, a parable that Jesus told. Jesus told his disciples a parable. A parable is just a story that could be like from everyday life story that has, um, has a teaching involved in the story that's fairly obvious. So he told a parable to show his disciples. Are any of you disciples? There was three of us, okay. Uh, Disciple is someone who's a follower of Jesus, an apprentice who's becoming like him. I'm hoping all of you have decided to be disciples of Jesus. You're in training. Told him a a parable to show them. So this is one where we're going to hear what the reason of the parable is before you even hear the story. Here's the moral of the story that they should always pray and not give up. Disciples of Jesus, you should always pray and not give up. Praying moms know to persevere in prayer. Here's the story. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice for my adversary. She kept coming. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, This is Jesus talking to us. Even though I don't fear God or care about men, giving us an example. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice. The power of asking. So that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him? There's that word of fervent prayer, night And day, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So in the context, that sentence is, when I come back, will there be people who still have enough faith to persevere in prayer? And my answer is, I'm going to make sure the answer is yes. When he comes back, we're going to be a people who persevere in prayer. Here's the last one. They know that prayer changes the course of history, which I'm feeling like some of us don't even believe yet. And I want to challenge you to get a hold of God's word and understand that your prayer can change the course of history. God, who's sovereign, has determined that what you and I do in prayer will change the course of history. It's really true. We can talk about that more if you're stuck on that. But they also, so moms in particular, who are moved by love, will fervently, urgently, unabashedly be crazy bold, shameless in their requests. So this is a a phrase from the Bible that you may have not read, and you wouldn't see it probably in modern translations. It's a word called importunity. Have you ever heard that? Not important, but importunity. Do you know that word? Does anyone know the word importunity? Going to learn a new word. The word of the day is importunity. (laughs) Importunity is shameless boldness. 
It's the kind of boldness that forgets about propriety. You know when, when, there's, when there's something urgent, you forget about being nice and polite and waiting in line, right? You take care of business and now. And God likes it. And there's stories all through the Bible of people who are importunate. But here's one. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. And you would know the next sentences are the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done, earth is in heaven. Uh, And then he continues to teach. And here's what he teaches. Suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight. That's importunity when you go to your neighbor at midnight. And says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. (laughs) The door's already locked. My children are with me. We're in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's boldness. Now, if you read this in another translation, you'd read because of the man's importunity. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you in your prayers... Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. So here's a definition. Importunity is being troublesomely urgent. Overly persistent in request or demand. Importunity is a boldness that is shameless. It breaks the normal protocols and niceties of polite social interaction. Folks, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray said, this is how I want you to pray. Irritate God. Wake him up at midnight. Tell him, you said, your word says, I'm sorry if I'm being too bold, but God, I need you to respond. We need you now. That attitude in prayer God doesn't get upset with. And when you read the stories in the Bible, you will see story after story like this, and God doesn't get irritated. He responds. How are you guys doing? Can I do another story? Okay. Mark 7, 24. This one's so offensive. This is is where you go, Jesus, that was so rude of you, what he's about to do. But it's my impression that Jesus does something that looks offensive to draw out of someone what's already in them. Has that ever happened to you? You run into a problem that you don't like, it's uncomfortable, but in facing the problem and in facing what seems like God didn't do the right thing to me here, you discover that inside of you was something that needed to come out and the answer is given. Here's the story. Jesus left a particular place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. This is important, that little detail, because Jesus is not among Jews right now, and he's Jewish, and he's ministering primarily to Jewish people. That's his people, and he came to start with the Jewish people. So she's not Jewish, and she begs him to drive the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus says, first let the children eat all they want. In other words, I've come to minister to my people, the Jewish people, the children of the Jews, 
First, let the children eat, for it's not right, and watch how rude he is, to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. That would be language that she would know from the culture. And she replies, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the, the crumbs under the children's table. And I think Jesus smiled. He said, you got that right. For such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demonic presence was gone. Because he challenged her, he threw up a roadblock, and she pressed through. Does this seem weird to you? This is the way God is? Sometimes, the thing that I'm praying for is so complicated and involves so many situations and so many people who all need to be moved by God, who will never violate their free will. Imagine how God's going to do this. Without violating free will, he's going to still move circumstances with our prayers that are bold and almost rude and calling on him to move and change and do what he said he would do until the thing that we have desired, which came from his heart in the first place, gets accomplished. So prayer changes the course of history. Persevering in prayer is super important. Do you remember the push principle? Yes, who remembers that? Kathy's got it. Push. I forget who came up with that, but I'm going to use it. Push is pray until something happens. Persevere in prayer. Until God says, stop praying because I'm not going to say yes the way you want me to. He might say that. I don't hear that one often. Until you do hear that, push until something happens. Pray until something happens. And like a mom who is urgent about the needs of her child, a mama bear you don't want to mess with. With the heart of a mama bear, you be bold. You risk rudeness. You call on God. And see if he doesn't say, for such an answer, for such an attitude, for such persistence, for, for such fervency in prayer, I am granting to you your request. And see if you will not find that the very things that we're calling on God for will come to pass. Here's what happens. When you begin to enter into prayer, there's someone named the Holy Spirit who's very much involved in your praying. He's waiting to be engaged in prayer. He's in you. He's ready to be unleashed. When you enter into prayer, you discover that he begins guiding your prayer and giving you the heart of God for the situation that you're praying for and begins giving you intel, like he's been doing reconnaissance, to pray in certain ways that you did not think of before you started praying. This is the work of God. He gives you intel, he gives you understanding, and then you pray in those ways, and you find that your prayers change, and the thing that you were praying for isn't the only thing you were praying for. You get other details, and you start calling on God, and you feel like, I am partnering with God. You feel it. You're like, I'm not, has anyone experienced this? You're not alone anymore. It's a phenomenal experience. You realize that it's not you by yourself calling on a God who's distance. It's you partnering with a God who's near to accomplish and partner with him the very things that he already longs to accomplish. And you join with other people, and you go away going, 
dang, that was awesome. Look what just happened. And then you see the results happen, and your mind's blown, and you've just changed the course of history. Jesus said, my house will be called a... My my house of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. We probably, we could say, have been a little bit atrophied as a people of prayer. I pray at dinner. Uh, Maybe now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep at bedtime. But when we come together for the needs that God has put us on our heart, like we've done the last couple of weeks, we're going to do in the next couple of weeks, like we're doing on Monday nights, like we're doing on Thursday noon. Man, can you imagine if this place becomes a place where we are calling on God? One of our prayer partners said he likens it to the war room, where you see, especially in the, the old movies, World War II, there's a giant map, and there's a bunch of ships on the, on the map, right? And they have these sticks, and they're moving the ships around for the battle plan. That That's what happens when we join together and pray. We move the ships in war, and God's purposes are accomplished. And the enemy is routed and defeated, and his evil plans to destroy people's lives are broken. And life comes to people who've been under the influence of a wicked usurper. We have been called to enforce the victory of Calvary to enforce the victory that Jesus did on the cross. He won a great victory, and now we are an occupational force. The end. Is it, is it possible that someone hearing me is hearing things that are kind of new and foreign, but have a ring of truth that you want to believe You know a little bit about God. You've heard maybe about Jesus. You've maybe heard the Christmas story and the Easter story that a man who claimed to be the Son of God, the Chosen One, said he would come and live a perfect life, the only person who ever did, and he would die a sacrificial death on his timetable, on a Roman cross, A death that would take the place of the punishment for the sins of humanity. And that on the third day after his death, he would rise from the grave, proving that everything he said was true. That anyone who would put their faith in him would be freed from the consequences and the effects of their sins. By the way, I don't think any of us need to be told you're a sinner I know I have sinned, and I bet you know you have sinned. I've not yet met a perfect person other than Jesus. So without any condemnation, all of us would say, hand raised, yeah, me. I stand guilty before a God who I will stand before as my judge someday unless I stand before him as my Savior today. If that describes you and you have yet to receive Jesus as Savior, it's simply a matter of putting your faith in him so that you release your life to him and you say, Jesus, I want to trust you with my life. Forgive me of all of my sins and put your life in me and I will follow you. That kind of faith changes everything. If you're here with me today, online, maybe even watching in my future, but you're present. 
and you're hearing these words, would you pray with me right now? Turn to God and say something like this. It's, the words don't matter. It's your heart. God, I trust you with my life. Jesus, I believe you. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. Proving yourself to be God. Proving yourself to be faithful. I trust you now with my life. Come into my life. Save me. Make me new. Help me to follow you the rest of my days. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.